Thank you, Jill, for those readings. It's always an uh, interesting experience to remind myself what passages have been set for any given week as we um, go through a series. So I uh, thought through the, the series on seeking spiritual R&R, that is to say renewal and revival, a number of months ago and planned out the series and the readings for this week were focused on uh, the lessons from the River Jordan. As I uh, remind myself of those passages in preparation, it's always a very often the case that those passages speak to me in a way afresh and even take me by surprise of how relevant they are to the circumstances that we find ourselves. Both personally and as a church, I think we've been going through a season of loss. Certainly having heard of the death of Millicent on Friday um, reminded me that this is very much part of the realities of a church community, is that people who have been known and loved for many years is all part of that coming and going. And we miss people. And in my own circumstances, with the death of my uh, mother about two years ago, almost, um, and then my father last year, and now my brother, it catches up with you. So I figure I'll just be in a more reflective mode as I reflect on these passages this morning around those realities, those lessons of life and of death. The story of the River Jordan is one that is a, um, a powerful lesson that's repeated a number of times throughout Scripture and is picked up in um, song and in um, a broader sense. I'll come to the story in the biblical sense in a minute. But a song has been playing over in my mind a lot in this past week. It really speaks to me in a very powerful way. And one part of me thought, well, maybe I won't preach this week. I'll just play the song and leave it at that. And I'm actually going to get pretty close to that because I'm not going to say an awful lot. I don't want to fill it with a whole lot of content. But there are some lessons that if we read these passages, I really do need to highlight for all of us because we need to hear those lessons that God is saying. But the song is more popularly known as The Wayfaring Stranger. You know, you heard the song Wayfaring Stranger? If I play it, you probably might pick up the tune. There's many different covers, versions of it. Johnny Cash had one and a number of others had it as their sort of signature song. And it speaks into the variety of lives that people have as they recognise themselves as on a journey and a significant moment in that journey is when they cross over Jordan. I trace the origins of the song. No one knows actually who wrote it. It's an African-American gospel song from the early part of the 19th century. So we don't know the details of uh, 1820s, 30s, 40s, but it does appear in print for the first time in 1856 in a book called The Christian Songster. Um, a gathering of folklore songs that were becoming to be regular around churches. And uh, so I've given you a little glimpse of the copy of the, um, the song as it appears. And there it has the title, Going Over Jordan. This song has really spoke to me because it 
speaks to these passages and the lessons behind them. I'm going over Jordan. I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going home. And it evokes that sense that life moves from that early moments as a child and you look at ever uh, sort of widening horizons as childs realise there's more to this room. There's other rooms in the house. Who knew? Then children discover there's there's more space outside the house. Who knew? And they go in, they discover there's a neighbourhood and a world to be explored. Then as life continues, some ways those rooms come back to us. And sometimes in the comings and goings of life and those who are loved companions, there's a sense in which that distance emerges again. Now, there's nothing new in naming that. That has been one of the perennial questions that every civilization reflects on. What is this thing we experience as life? Where does it go? So I'm not entering into anything that is new or novel in that space. But this song... Going over Jordan, coming out of the African-American experience of slaves. This is pre-Civil War. That the whole sense of going through life, which could be incredibly tough and hard, and a lot of grief and sorrow were the realities they experienced, was a deeper hope that they expressed through songs such as these. If you'd like to have the words of it later, I've actually photocopied it off and it's available on the Info Central table in the hall if you want to take it and reflect on it. I'll come back to that at the conclusion. So what's going on in these Bible readings? The passage from Deuteronomy, the first four chapters of Deuteronomy, gives a a very brief summary of the history of Israel up until the moment where they're about to enter the promised land. And Moses delivers Deuteronomy, knowing that he would not be accompanying them. It wasn't for him to cross over Jordan, but they would go ahead and will settle. And he is very keen that they learn the lessons that the generation of Moses had learnt the hard way. They were about to cross over the Jordan into the promised land, but it was not the first time they had got to that point on the eastern banks of the River Jordan, about to cross over to the west and the uh, the land that was promised to them. They had got to that same point 40 years before. And this is what Moses reminds them in this little passage from Deuteronomy. And he says that we're about to cross over and we suddenly had doubt. We sent some spies ahead to go and check out the land. Is it as good as we've been promised it would be? So the spies went into the land and they reported and they came back and said, they were asked the question, is it as good as it's, it's been made out to be? And he said, absolutely, it is so fertile. The, the crops are just abundant. And they even brought back a whole bunch of abundant grapes to show. It's a wonderful place. They said, so what's, what's the problem? The problem is the people who were there are seriously big. They are big, big people. And to be honest, I don't think there's any way, they said, that we can defeat them in battle. So they decided that probably even though it's a wonderful promised land, they'll stay on this side of the Jordan. God, who had been calling them 
over the River Jordan into the Promised Land and promising that he would go with them and all would be well, was angered by that. So the passage tells us that God swore in his anger, they shall never enter my rest. So he said, turn around and head back out to the wilderness. I'll be with you in the wilderness for 40 years and this generation will not enter the land. Your children will enter the land. So that was the lesson that they learned. When we go to uh, the traditional Anglican services, there's one that I really miss. It's the morning prayer service according to the Book of Common Prayer. And as a child growing up in Anglican church, this was a, um, a pattern that was um, instilled in me week by week. And it wasn't new to the Anglican church when it was put into our morning prayer service by Archbishop Cramner in the 16th century. So it goes right back to that time. But Cramner was just picking up that Psalm, Psalm 95, was read in every synagogue service on every Sabbath day. So I thought this is a good psalm for us to have as we move into worship. Psalm 95, and as you can see, the original version has got a lovely Latin name, Veniti Exultimus Domino, um, has, starts with these words, and it's an appropriate call to worship. We have passages that we use as a call to worship. We had the passage from Revelation today. Well, Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud of our salvation. Let's say this responsibly, because we know how to do the responsive psalms. Come, let us sing to the Lord for the joy for the Lord. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. But as the psalm continues, as we use it in the morning prayer service, it suddenly changes mood. And if you're not watching out, you can actually have this joyful moment of reading it. When suddenly you realise, actually, this is not a joyful part of the psalm. Because the psalm continues, the second half of the psalm, again, let's just say this responsibly. We're picking it up from the end of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice... As at Meribah, as at that day at Massah in the wilderness. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. I said, They do not know my ways, so I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. That was also part of the call to worship. What it instills in us is that we should never take for granted the journey that God is calling us upon. And the lesson that had to be learned in the wilderness was that when they hardened their heart, they were moving into a very dangerous space to be. Now we move to the second of our readings, the sermon, in effect, of the, uh, the preacher to the Hebrews. The letter of Hebrews is in the form of a long sermon, 13 chapters of it, and it moves from shadow to reality. There's a photo I came across this morning, but it was too late to include it. It's one I took a number of years ago up in the Adelaide Hills, very late afternoon, early evening. You know when that 
western sun is, is dropping, you get that beautiful golden hue about that sun at that time of day. And I managed to take a photo through a, um, a grove of trees, gum trees. So the brightness, the warmth of that sunset was behind and on this side of the gum trees were deepening shadows. Because the, it, when you have that brightness, we find ourselves in, in the shadows. And the letter of Hebrews moves us from the shadows into the brightness of what lies ahead. It's a journey that we are, take, we are called to take. And the writer of Hebrews is anxious that the company of people who are on this journey towards the fullness of what lies ahead may ha- are in danger of missing out. They may be in danger of doing exactly what happened to the earlier generation when they first went to the River Jordan. So by chapter 4 in Hebrews, the preacher is then saying that God has given us this promise of rest. And this is the ultimate rest. This is where everything is renewed and abundant and all that is right with the world is available. It's what last year we, we talked about in terms of the word shalom, the, the abundance, the growth, the, the, the health of creation as a whole. So the writer says that this rest lies before us. And he makes the point that even though um, Joshua had eventually led them into the promised land and they had a measure of rest in the promised land, he says, well, even later, uh, God promised David that the people would enter a promised land. So the writer says, well, it makes sense that this rest that lies before us um, still remains for God's people. We have yet to fully experience the ultimate rest that creation is moving towards. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, which just as God did. But then it says, but then let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. We need to learn the same lesson. So what are the lessons that we learned? The lessons on the banks of the River Jordan. First of all, the writer of Hebrews says there was a moment called today. And that's a moment where the decision to be made to hear and to respond to what God is saying is now. We can't do it beforehand when it's still ahead of us and we can't do it tomorrow. It's not yesterday, it's not tomorrow, it is today's moment. Part of the lesson that the people of Israel learned on the River Jordan is that after they said, we won't cross over, the enemies are too big and too dangerous, and God says, well, turn around, do a U-turn, you're going to walk around for another 40 years and I'll go with you while you learn that lesson. They said, well, hang on, maybe we will go over anyway. So they gathered their army, they went over, and they got absolutely flogged over there. And God says, that was yesterday, you're too late. You had that moment to say today, to respond, to hear. But that window of opportunity doesn't stay of us. That stays in our own lives. It is also very true in lives of churches. I've had some conversations with churches over the years where we've talked about an opportunity to do something different. And they've said, 
we're open to doing something different, but just not yet. We think in five years' time we'll be ready to do something different. And I have closed those churches in five years' time where it's become too late. Part of our discernment is recognising those moments, those today moments, so the writer of the Hebrews says. He identifies three things in particular that we need to take on board. First of all is the peril of paying little heed to the voice of God. God doesn't always speak to us with a megaphone. Sometimes it's in those quiet moments when we hear and we discern and we ask ourselves, God, are you saying something here that I need to hear and respond to? And recognising those moments of saying, okay. It is very dangerous if we sort of want to hear the voice of God, but we're also interested in a whole manner of other voices that are out there and they have got megaphones and they've got making all sorts of promises to do, distract us. That comes at our literal peril. The writer also says, beware of hardening our hearts, allowing our hearts to go astray. Those are the two phrases that are used in Psalm 95 that the writer to Hebrews quotes in his psalm. I love the way he quotes it, by the way. He says, somewhere it says. (laughs) Somewhere it says. If it's okay for the writer of Hebrews to say somewhere it says, it's okay for me to occasionally say, I'm sure it says somewhere in the Bible. Can't tell you where. Anyway. How do we harden our hearts? It's when we decide, well, I hear that, but I really want to do what I want want to do. And I'm just going to stay with what I want to do, what is best for me. Even more so when we allow our hearts to go astray, to be led into others who are seeking to gain the desires of our hearts, to say, this is the way to live. Do this, do this, do this. And if we're doing those things and hardening our heart against God, then we are in danger of missing out. Those choices have consequences, as that generation of Israel discovered on the banks of the River Jordan. And then the the positive side of it, and I want to finish with the positive side of it. Both Psalm 95 and the writer in Hebrews says, hold fast to the promises of God as we hear his voice recognize that the promise of an ultimate rest in our true home lies before us. This is where true hope and the brightness of life as we've always dreamed it would be and can become will exceed our hopes and our expectations. Now the writer of Hebrews continues on that theme and it's only by chapter 12 he talks about what that looks like in terms of the heavenly Jerusalem. But at this point, I want to just move back to that song, Going Over Jordan. I'm going over to life's bright river. I'm going there to see my Lord. The words of the song start with, I'm a pilgrim and a stranger while wandering through this world of woe. But there's no sickness, death nor sorrow in that bright world to which I go. Then it has a refrain. But each of the refrain actually has a slightly adapted opening line. The chorus goes, I'm going there. And the first time it says that I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there to see my Lord. I'm just a going over Jordan. I'm just a going over home. 
The second time, it gets to that refrain. I'm going there to see my mother. I'm going there to see my Lord. The third time, it says, I'm going there to see my brother. I'm going there to see my Lord. The final time, I'm going there to see my sisters. I'm going there to see my children. That is what true hope looks like. That is grief that is genuine and is true, but is not despair. So I'm going to invite you just to sit and to hear that song. There's many different versions. Some of them are very dour. Um, I think Johnny Cash's version, as he reflects on his own life, was pretty (laughs) grim. Um, Others are very upbeat. I've chosen one that's sort of in the middle of those. So uh, just listen to it. And it does convey that sense of coming out of the realities of life, in particular in its, um, comes from the American South, its, its origin.